five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. This is, of course, a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Now we're back today with our second episode of 2021. Uh, that's right, if you're new around here, we record on a two-week recording of, uh, recording episode, recording schedule uh, for the simple fact of the Overwatch League is dead right now, uh, or rather in the offseason. So there's just not a ton to talk about, and especially with the lack of Overwatch 2 news, uh, things are a little dry. Now that said, when you leave yourself two weeks between episodes, there seems to be a significant amount more that comes up. So uh, we've got quite a bit lined up today. Now, before we get there, if this is your first episode, I'm your host at Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on all social platforms at Sir DRJM. So why not give me a follow there and reach out to me on Twitter at Sir DRJM. I'd love to interact with you. If you have questions or anything you want me to talk about on the show, I'd be happy to oblige. Now, you can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. Um, if you know of a podcast service or you use a podcast service that you can't find One Man Watchpoint on, uh, let me know. Again, Twitter's the best way to reach me, but give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that jazz. If you do leave me a review on any service, I'll uh, do my best to read that on the next episode. Now, for today's show, as I mentioned, it's pretty jam-packed. Um, so we're going to be covering as much as I gathered. Uh, this week we've got things like new and recently announced OWL format for the next, uh, OWL season, the latest signings and retirements in the Overwatch League, and if you stick around towards the end of the show, I'm also going to touch on a little bit of speculation about Overwatch 2. So without further ado, let's get on in there. Playtime's over. Now, to kick things off this week, I'm going to uh, bring up a segment that has been in at least one other episode, if not a couple more, um, and that, that, that segment is called Required Reading. So, the article that I've pulled here that I'm filing under Required Reading is titled John Spector on the Changes Coming to Overwatch League and its Broadcast. Now, this article is a little bit older there. In fact, it is just about the full two weeks ago that this was posted. Um, however, it is worth the read if you're interested in the Overwatch League and the upcoming season. And you can find it over on ggrecon.com, posted by one of my favorite uh, insiders or, or Overwatch reporters, uh, Sasha Yiska. So, of course, um, I listen to Yiska on the Tactical Crouch podcast uh, just about weekly, I believe, with, of course, John and uh, Volumel. Um, so definitely one worth checking out. However, he did a pretty extensive interview with John Spector um, on the upcoming league format after a video um, was posted to the Overwatch YouTube channel um, outlining some of the upcoming changes. And, of course, we will talk about that shortly. Now, the reason I bring up this article, even though we're going to talk about a lot of the announced changes and things that we have to look forward to in the 2021 season, is because this article actually details a lot of the format changes and decisions they've made um, 
in more detail than we're going to talk about here and in more detail than a lot of uh, other articles that I've come across. And I think that's because obviously they, they managed to score this interview with John. So Yisko is able to get a little more in depth with him. Um, and they go into a little bit of the background info on some of the decisions the league has made, um, as well as a little more detail on some of the, the upcoming changes and, and just information, um, and certainly some of the things that aren't necessarily at the forefront of every fan's mind. Um, one of the big things uh, being the IBM deal that the Overwatch League announced uh, a partnership with IBM back in October. So in any case, go read that article. Once again, it's on GG Recon. It is posted by Yiska, and it reads John Spector on the changes coming to Overwatch League and its broadcast. So go check that out uh, for some good readings. Now, let's get on to the actual news I've got lined up here. And we're going to start with... Uh, Overwatch League announces 2021 season structure will begin in April. So this is an article posted on January 14th, again, same day that uh, Yiska's article went up. However, we're not going to go into as much detail as Yiska does. Um, and this was posted over on .esports.com by Liz Richardson. So let's dive on in. Overwatch League fans have endured a long offseason, but new information about the upcoming 2021 season should brighten their spirits. John Spector, the vice president of Overwatch Esports, shared new details about the structure of Season 4 in a video update today. He also hinted at future upgrades to the live viewing experience for fans over the next year. Days after the Call of Duty League revealed a February start date, John Spector confirmed that the 2021 Overwatch League season will be starting in April. Previously, on a vague, quote, early spring, end quote, start date was announced. Oh, sorry, only a vague early spring start date was announced. An April launch is much later than the league's usual winter debut, but a later start date gives the league a better chance at hosting live events toward the end of the season. Divisions. In 2021, the 20 Overwatch League teams will again be split into two regional divisions. This time around, the divisions will be named East and West instead of Asia Pacific, APAC, and North America. Eight teams based in South Korea and China will compete in the East Division. Former APAC teams like the Shanghai Dragons, Chengdu Hunters, Seoul Dynasty, Hangzhou Spark, Guangzhou Charge, and New York Excelsior will make up the bulk of the East Division. The Philadelphia Fusion and Los Angeles Valiant will also be joining them in 2021. The West Division will include 12 teams based in North America and Europe. The Atlanta Rain, Boston Uprising, Dallas Fuel, Florida Mayhem, Houston Outlaws, London Spitfire, Los Angeles Gladiators, Paris Eternal, San Francisco Shock, Vancouver Titans, Toronto Defiant, and Washington Justice will all compete in the West Division next year. Tournaments. Monthly tournaments were a highlight of the 2020 season for both players and fans. Because of the hype and popularity of those events, the Overwatch League decided to make tournaments a major part of the 2021 season. Four standalone tournaments will serve as the main highlight during the season. Regular season matches still remain, but they'll also act as qualifier matches for these four tournaments. Unlike 2020's relatively open monthly tournaments, only teams that qualify will be able to participate in the tournament brackets. In a big change from the 2020 season, teams from both the East and West divisions will be able to compete in singular tournament brackets thanks to a new minimum latency system. This will give fans a chance to see the best teams across the world face off multiple times throughout the season. The full 2021 season schedule will be released at BlizzConline according to an Overwatch League press release. BlizzConline is a virtual version of 
the company's annual convention that will take place on February 20th and 19th. Sorry, 19th and 20th. Latency adjustments. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, teams were scattered across the world during the 2020 season and live events were canceled. Since COVID is still a global threat, teams will be playing remotely throughout most of the 2021 season. High latency or ping was a big problem last year as teams adjusted to online play. A new minimum latency tool will be used during the 2021 Overwatch League season, though, uh, season though, to create a more fair environment for cross-regional matches. Fan experiences and upgrades. While the Overwatch League is planning many upgrades to the viewer experience in 2021, Spectre wasn't able to share more than a few vague hints at this time. Those future promises, however, should get fans excited. In 2020, the league moved from Twitch to YouTube. Many fans lamented the loss of an interactive live experience and noted lower viewership numbers, but the YouTube partnership will include enhanced live stream, live stream quality and an improvement to the discoverability of live games, according to a press release. For fans who like to catch games after they're aired, the league is working on a spoiler-free viewer mode. Game results will no longer be revealed by preview images or relative length of YouTube videos. Overwatch League match broadcasts will also get an upgrade with a, quote, new and improved virtual set, end quote, that likely resembles the one used during the 2020 Grand Finals. New video content produced throughout the season uh, will spotlight teams, players, and offer analysis from the league's experts. More information about the 2021 season will be revealed at BlizzConline, where the Overwatch League will host the Shock vs. the World event. The San Francisco Shock two-time league champions will take on an all-star team of players to prove their dominance in, a competitive, in the competitive scene. So, that was uh, quite the summary of the video. Um, and the reason I picked this article is because I like the way that Liz Richardson breaks down uh, sort of the main topics of the video. Of course, if you're curious, you can definitely go seek out the video on the Overwatch League uh, YouTube channel. It is uh, just under five minutes long, and it's, you know, typical, or just like the previous uh, videos they've released, um, you know, John Spector talking to a camera cut with some B-roll of the Overwatch League past season and, and that kind of thing. So definitely worth, worth the watch, given, you know, it's only five minutes. Um, but if you're not into that kind of thing, hey, that's why you're here, and that's why I just broke it down for you. Or rather, why Liz broke it down for you. Now, I do want to highlight a couple of the things that uh, Liz Richardson goes over in her article there. So, the first thing being April start. Um, I just wanted to touch on that because I think that was initially reported by uh, Yiska over at GG Recon. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he had some League Insiders... Uh, kind of clue him into that early on, um, or earlier on in the off season, um, maybe even as far back as November, October, kind of thing when we we're still in the thick of it. I'm pretty sure he he had kind of, I don't want to say leaked, although I suppose there's no other word for it, but I'm pretty sure we we suspected that already. Now then, the divisions is one thing, one of the more interesting reveals of the uh, announcement. Of course, just to recap briefly, there's now going to be an East and West region instead of the APAC in North America, which is uh, the North America region certainly is actually, you know what, in all honesty, both regions are definitely a little more appropriately named, um, especially given where those teams will will be competing. That said, I mean, you still have outliers like the Paris Eternal and the um, London Spitfire. 
but I digress. The East region is the Shanghai Dragons, Chengdu Hunters, Seoul Dynasty, Hangzhou Spark, Guangzhou Charge, and New York Excelsior, plus the newly relocated Philadelphia Fusion, as well as the Los Angeles Valiant. And you know what? I'm actually just going to hop into my dock, and I'm going to add something to a final segment that I'm going to talk about on today's episode. And it's going to go here, and it's going to go like this. There we go. Okay. Pardon me for that. I just had something pop into my mind that I don't want to forget to talk about. Um, so anyways, this is an interesting one uh, because obviously we see the new additions of the Philadelphia Fusion, which had been announced previously, and the Los Angeles Valiant. So certainly um, the Los Angeles Valiant raises some eyebrows, and we might just talk about them later in the show. Um, but definitely interesting and, and exciting in a lot of ways. Um, I'm glad to see that it's not just Philadelphia moving to the east uh, region. I know it had been previously announced that the Philadelphia Fusion were coming over there, um, you know, joining their New York, uh, I guess, joining their American counterparts in, in the New York Excelsior. However, I think it, it will be really interesting to see what that looks like, because I think where New York is a primarily Korean team, um, the Philadelphia Fusion obviously are not, um, you know, having just recently or in this past offseason signed someone like Shockwave, who's, you know, not even North American. And I only say that because this audience is primarily North American, I imagine. Um, but given given his uh, European nationality. So anyways, it's an interesting one and an exciting one. I've talked before on past shows, I, I really love seeing that kind of cross pollination, where you don't just see things divided, okay, um, the APAC or the East region is all of the Asian or Korean teams. Um, I really like the fact that we now have a little bit more, like I say, cross-pollination of the more North American or, or more international um, teams speaking more specifically about the actual individuals on the teams. Now, the Los Angeles Valiant was the surprising one. Um, but again, a similar I feel similar to them about the Philadelphia Fusion. You know, good to see that. However, um, I also like the fact that there is a team in addition to the Philadelphia Fusion because it brings that total number of teams in the East region up to eight. So obviously, we're still looking at some disparity between the two regions where we have eight in the East and 12 teams in the West, totaling 20 teams in the, in the league. Um, however, you know, it's not as bad as the weird 7-13. and 13. Um, That obviously winds up with some odd tournament placements, as we saw last season. Um, it means that, you know, the top team usually has a bye at the beginning of a tournament, a bye week at the beginning of a tournament. Um, and although, you know, it's great for them to rest, it's great for them to get extra practice or reward them in whatever way, I just like the idea better that we're going to now have four um, two team qualifiers or whatever you want to call them first rounds um, and then teams getting eliminated and moving on from there I think it just works with a typical tournament format a lot better than uh, an odd number of teams which we saw last season right we saw both the APAC region having only seven teams and the North American region obviously having 13 teams so you always had either a team with a bye and then a couple teams that had to play an extra round to qualify for a tournament or just a team with a bye and then you know they just played one last game which really for for the team that's on top they're probably one of the teams you want to see being played more because they're probably you know not that um 
winning cor correlates directly with viewership, but in a lot of ways, it's pretty close, right? So I digress. Let's talk about the West region. West is 12 teams based in North America and Europe. The Atlanta Reign, the Boston Uprising, Dallas Fuel, Florida Mayhem, Houston Outlaws, London Spitfire, Los Angeles Gladiators, Paris Eternal, San Francisco Shock, Vancouver Titans, Toronto Defiant, and the Washington Justice. So um, obviously there's your 12 uh, Western teams. It does, it is, you know, obviously just like most of the league, primarily North American focused. Uh, the outliers being the London Spitfire and Paris Eternal. Um, however, uh, you know, there isn't much of a problem there, if you ask me. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see that, even if, you know, again, both of these are mostly uh, what they were last season, with the exception of Philly and LA uh, Valiant moving over to the East. So I digress. That's what things look like there. Oh, and I guess London jumping back over to the West. So anyhow. That's what that looks like. That's what our two divisions are. But as well, as I mentioned, uh, or as Liz mentioned in her article there, we're also going to see more um, more teams from either region playing against each other. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and it might be in Jessica's article, so spoilers, but I think they've actually talked about uh, they have kind of settled on Hawaii as being a middle ground where teams will be able to and I could be crazy, but I swear I, was, I heard this on uh, Tactical Crouch, and I think I was reading this somewhere else as well, that they, oh, you know what? It might have even been Plat Chat. I think it was Sideshow that was talking about this. Um, but anyways, they, they might have teams playing, competing there. And it could just be that that's where the server was based. I was a little foggy on those details. But that allows them to compensate for some of those ping issues. So I digress. Um, it kind of evens things out between the two regions. So there you have it. Um, that's your, your two divisions. Now, another thing that was touched on in Liz's article is, of course, the tournament format. So um, in the video, and I'm sure you can find it other places online, there is a nice little graphic that uh, that they, they feature there. Um, and it shows the, you know, quote-unquote event calendar for the 2021 season. Um, and although it doesn't list exact dates, it does give a pretty good indication of what we're looking at. So it starts with April, um, ends in September, and they then have uh, West and East, so it shows that both regions will be following this format, and it then goes Tournament 1 seeding, then there is Tournament 1, then there is a buy, then the process repeats itself um, 1, 2, 3, 4 times with a larger buy at the end, and then the playoffs and finals at in uh, at the very end in September, potentially, I would say, overlapping a little bit into October, although likely wrapping up before October. So anyways, this, this graphic that I just described gives you a good visual, if you're a visual learner, which I am, of what the season will look like. Now, this is interesting, um, you know, and along with the discussion around it, because although it does... Um, provide the league with, I think, a lot of what they're looking for, which, you know, looking at the previous season where a lot of people were a little bit unhappy when we weren't having those tournaments and um, when the season was earlier in, um, in, in the timeline of the overall season, I think people were getting frustrated and it seemed like there wasn't much payoff for what we were seeing. And so then obviously we saw them shift to a tournament structure 
um, which I think brought in a lot of the viewership and I think definitely increases overall viewership just for the simple fact of it gives everyone sort of a an end goal um, you know players included in a lot of ways it gives them sort of a destination on okay we are fighting for this so that pardon me we can have a um, a, a goal post that is more in sight than just the grand finals but at the same time I don't know that I mean a lot of this questions really what the what the league's overall goal is um, you know is it to be like a traditional sport where you know and again I'll, I'll use the NHL as my comparison because I'm most familiar with it you know a, a good Canadian boy here um, where you have you know a, a long season that builds up to a playoff schedule that builds up to a grand final right that's what we see in traditional sports that's what we see in um, you know, the NHL, in the NBA, in MLB, in the NFL, or CFL, if you will. Um, and I think this this really questions, what does the Overwatch League want to be? Because if they want to be similar to those traditional sports, then a tournament-style um, uh, yearly season doesn't necessarily make the most sense. But at the same time, Overwatch League by the nature of, of the game and how it is played and, and how it is viewed, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to traditional sports as well as something like uh, the Call of Duty League does or, or even Counter-Strike Go. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more to a game like Overwatch um, than those games from a simple viewership standpoint, right? Um, if you take, and, and this isn't meant to, you know, degrade anyone or anything like that, it's just a discussion on on how these esports present themselves. If you take someone who is not familiar with esports or games at all, and you set them in front of a Call of Duty League match or a Counter-Strike Go match, and compare that to setting them in front of an Overwatch League match, or even to, in, in a lot of ways, a uh, League of Legends match, they're going to be able to follow the typical first-person shooter a lot more. Um, Valorant kind of blurs the lines because Valorant obviously is sort of a middle ground between Counter-Strike and uh, Overwatch. And certainly if you've played all of those games, you you know that. Um, it, In my mind, it leans a lot more into the Counter-Strike side of things, but it has those sort of um, dashes of, of flavor and style from Overwatch. However, I digress. We're getting into other things here. Um, my, my point is simply... Um, if you look at these games, if you took someone who had, you know, no experience with these, they're going to be able to follow the more simple, and I use that term lightly because I'm not saying that Call of Duty or Counter-Strike are simple by any means, but the basis of what they're built on is. So Call of Duty and Counter-Strike are essentially guns go bang, right? You might have an objective, you might have, you know, d depending on if it's search and destroy in Call of Duty or if it's a simple team deathmatch or something like that, you might have a ultimate other goal. You might be building towards a score if it's something like um, King of the Hill or, or even a capture the flag style uh, game mode. And I know that's not typically in Call of Duty League or anything, but anyways, um, you might have a larger goal, but ultimately it's easy to follow in that there's always that element of point and shoot when you look at a game like overwatch there's so much more going on although there are characters that point and shoot 
there's even more to them where they have these, you know, as you know, special abilities and ultimates and whatever. Um, and more often than not, well, in fact, in the Overwatch League, you never have that purely team deathmatch kind of thing. So anyways, I digress. This event calendar looks great and will be exciting to watch, but I also definitely think this tells us a little bit about the future of Overwatch in that, or the future of the Overwatch League, sorry, in that this season... As, as much as it sucks to say, is the holdover season. Um, I look at this and I think that, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm excited for this season, you know, no less than I was excited for the previous season, the uh, 2020 season, although 2020 season also had the, uh, you know, carrot on the end of the stick that, hey, we might get to go to uh, live games, which would have been super exciting, but I digress. Um, the... Uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Sorry, guys. Hold on. Hold on. It'll come back to me. Oh, right. I remember. Okay. Um, so the point I was making was going to be that I think in a lot of ways, the previous season, season three, was built up to be this really big season. You know, it's the start of, of finally, you know, we've, we've had the foundations of, you know, pre-Overwatch League competitive Overwatch, but then Overwatch League season one, Overwatch League season two, where we saw the expansion teams added. And then season three was supposed to be the launch of the live events. So certainly there would have been a lot of kinks and, and challenges for the league to work out. But I think what we see there, or what we would have seen, is we would have seen a good foundation being built for season four or the 2021 season. Obviously there would have been changes, there would have been tweaks, they would have had to figure things out. But again, we would have seen that foundation built because of the COVID-19 pandemic, as I'm sure we're all tired of hearing, we didn't see a lot of that. We saw a lot of delayed games. We saw a lot of, a few canceled games and then rescheduled and delayed and that kind of thing. We saw a lot of player burnout. We saw a lot of problems. We saw a lot of challenges and we did eventually see a lot of solutions. And you have to applaud the team for their relatively quick turnaround. Um, I think what people underestimate is that in the business world, a lot of things don't happen very quickly. So the fact that they were able to turn around the season and really make it into something that was by and large um, as successful as it could have been, if you ask me, um, should be applauded. So, you know, hey, pat on the back for for all of the Overwatch League uh, staff and, and Blizzard employees and things like that. Um, Anyways, I think what we saw was, you know, they had to improvise and they had to change things for the past season. I then think that they looked at this upcoming season and said, all indications are we're still not going to be doing live events. If we can, it will probably be very limited in that it might only be certain, uh, certain teams or even to an extent a certain region that can do them at all. Um, I think it's obvious which one because it's not North, it's not the Western region. Anyways, um, and I think that, especially with Overwatch 2 looming, they've very much had to say, this is going to be the essentially the extension in a lot of ways to Season 3. Um, they're obviously taking their learnings from Season 3. They're taking a lot of uh, the solutions that they had built for Season 3 and a lot of the problems that they ran into. And they are planning for those and they are solutioning around those. They're not necessarily solutioning for the future of the league. I think what we're seeing, again, is this sort of, I don't want to say Band-Aid season or, or this buy season, but it is the holdover until 
greater things can happen. It is the holdover until we see Overwatch 2. It is the holdover until we see real live events. It is the holdover until the return to normalcy. Um, and, you know, honestly, if, if you're listening to this, then hopefully hopefully you agree with that. Um, you know, thinking about these things strategically and think, thinking to the future, you have to assume the Overwatch... Well, you don't have to assume. I, th I think it is a fact that nothing on this scale is planned with a <laughs> one year in advance, right? Um, when the uh, whoever's whoever it was, CEOs of Activision Blizzard, uh, Bobby Kotick or whoever, when they were meeting with people like Robert Kraft, um, who I believe is partial owner of the New York Excelsior or something like that, when they were meeting with these very, very high, very, very wealthy um, entrepreneurs, investors, uh, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people and companies to invest in the Overwatch League, there's no way any of them would have bought in if they simply saw a one-year plan. Companies don't work that way. They would have been going to them with a likely a 1, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20, and so on year plan. They would have been presenting to them, here's what it's going to look like at the start. Here's what it's going to look like in the near future of a few years, in the farther future of five years, and in the future future of 10 plus years. Um, obviously, COVID threw everything out the window. And season three, in a lot of ways, like I say, was the big buildup. That was probably... Honestly, teams probably still weren't going to be making a ton of money in, in Season 3, but Season 3 should have been building to something greater, which would have seen likely Season 4 be the the real kickoff to, um, you know, I guess the, the real excitement, right? They would have been able to solution for a lot of the problems they encountered in the live Season 3. Obviously, Season 3 went awry. That means that a lot of the development on Overwatch 2 is probably pushed back, and in a lot of ways... We're probably now seeing this season four as, as that holdover until we can get back to what was planned. So anyways, that turned out to be a very, very long talk that I was not expecting to go into. Um, but hey, I'm, I'm just brainstorming here. So if you have any thoughts on that, reach out to me, tweet at me, at SirDRJM, or DM me if, you're, if you don't want it to be public, then send me a DM and, uh, and I can talk it out with you. So let's move on here because I've gone really long in the tooth there. Um, ah, whew, I talked a lot there. That was the tournament format. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. Next thing I wanted to talk about, we're still covering Liz's article. So, hey, cool. Um, one thing that was touched on briefly there was latency adjustments. Um, so in Liz's article, she mentioned that uh, a new minimum latency tool will be used during the 2021 Overwatch League season. I've looked into that a little bit more and heard a little bit um, from Plat Chat and Tactical Crouch, and it sounds like essentially what that means, and this is, I mean, hey, most video game nerds are kind of computer nerds or at least understand computer a little bit. I work in IT, so I understand it probably more than the average Joe, but I digress. Um, this minimum latency tool from everything I've read is essentially going to make it so that teams have equivalent latency. Um, so where you're paying, obviously, in a match of Overwatch, uh, is very important to a team's success. Um, you know, one person's ping can very much throw an entire match for the rest of the team. The minimum latency tool, as far as I understand, is basically going to make it so that everyone on both teams, so on both sides, uh, will be given 
equivalent latency. So if one team is experiencing, and this is just for example, let's say 90 ping, the other team will basically be risen to 90 ping to essentially put them on a level playing field. Um, as far as I read, I believe they're targeting keeping things uh, around the 70 ping mark. So, you know, ping is hard because you, you can't super nail down. You can't just say, oh, your ping is going to be 60 and it'll always be 60, right? It's so dependent on all manner of networking aspects. But I digress. It's, it's, it's pretty cool technology that they'll be using for that. So the final thing I wanted to cover or touch on from Liz's article is the fan experiences and upgrades. Um, so this was the part of the article where Liz talked about the move to YouTube and uh, fans not being super happy with it and everything like that. Um, so they, they talked about a number of things that in my opinion, aren't super important. Um, you know, they, they talked about, or Liz talked about in her article, for fans who like to catch games after they've aired, the league is working on a spoiler-free viewer mode. I'm a little bit like, if you miss a live sporting event and you want to go back and watch it, you should be, in my mind, I, I would never be going in thinking, oh, I'm not going to know what's already happened. Just the nature of the internet and everything, especially with an eSport, I'm assuming I'm already going to have it spoiled by the number of people I follow on Twitter and things like that. And and by all means, I'm not necessarily watching these these games purely just to find out who wins, right? Um, I watch these games for the exciting moments. I watch these games to see the the best plays and the best players um, and, uh, and everything they're able to do. And in a lot of ways, I mean, I go into it with a mindset of what can I learn from these, these players. So I digress. Um, that's good for great for people who who care about that kind of thing and and, and all that stuff um, they also touch briefly in the video on the fact that they're still working on integrations with YouTube similar to you know uh, twitch and drops and things like that and skins um, I myself I mean I certainly do like my overwatch League tokens even if I just hoard them I think I've bought like well it, typically speaking I buy the special skins right I'll buy the um, the all-star skins as well as the MVP skins. Um, so more often than not, when I'm going to watch the Overwatch League, I will come down to my computer, I will go to the overwatchleague.com, I will make sure I'm logged in, I will put on the game, and then I will walk away and watch it on my TV, on my phone, wherever else, um, for the simple fact of I don't want to sit on my computer and watch the game. So hopefully they do come up with something better for, uh, for the Overwatch League token earnings, but if they can't, I mean, hey... It is what it is. I understand YouTube is a different platform than Twitch. Um, although I would hope that because of the deal they made with YouTube, I would hope they have sort of an insider track to work on some of these things. And hopefully it's something that YouTube is, uh, you know, wants to do. Because um, certainly it could it could help YouTube grow the platform um, in, in other areas other than just the Overwatch League. So, so we are finally done that first story that was the first story i wanted to cover um like i said that video came out on january 14th so at this point if if you didn't already know most of that information um then then you're probably not paying too close attention however hopefully that was a stimulating and exciting article uh article uh in-depth analysis of what some of this stuff means if it wasn't then hey thanks for sticking around this far uh, I'm going to take a quick breather, and then I will move on to the next article, and we will get things moving again. Oh, uh, we have to get this thing moving again. All right, we are back. 
And the next article I want to talk about is from January 16th, posted by Michael Zarr over on Daily Esports. And it reads like this. Ho Chi Lee joins Toronto Defiant coaching staff. The Toronto Defiant signed Korean assistant coach Ho Chi Lee, formerly of Australian contenders team Ground Zero Gaming. Ho Chi Lee is set to replace former assistant coach Glitch. This seems to be one of the team's last player or coach signings of the, uh, for the offseason. Ho Chi Lee's path to Defiant. Before becoming a coach in Australia, he's, he started his career, Overwatch career playing tank for Paradigm Shift in Australian contenders. In mid-2019, he helped the team reach fifth in contenders trials, but that was the extent of his playing career. However, his coaching career was different. He started for the team he played for, Paradigm Shift. He made an instant instant impact by helping them reach the postseason in their first contenders outing, but Ho Chi Lee later joined Ground Zero Gaming. As an assistant coach, he led them to winning the championship in his first season with the team. Ground Zero Gaming's performance in the Asian Gauntlet wasn't great, but he showed promise as a coach. On January 4th, he announced on Twitter that he was joining a team in the Overwatch League. Of course, Ho Chi Lee was announced late on Friday to be joining the Toronto Defiant. There's a little bit more in the article there, but I'm going to stop it there. So I brought this one up um, just because, you know, shows Toronto making a little bit more change than uh, than they had already. And I think it obviously shows uh, some of that influence of Mr. Head Coach there um, for the simple fact of, you know, the, uh, the old coaching staff is, I think, officially out and uh, Ho Chi Lee joins as a part of the new staff. And again, also shows uh, some of that, you know, Korean base that Toronto was going for. I know there were some rumors that Toronto might be moving uh, to the, uh, as it was called at the time, the APAC region, um, especially given the newly Korean focus it looked like the team was going for. But then there were some wrenches in that, like uh, logics and that kind of thing. So a little bit of confusion there, but I digress. Um, good to see Toronto bringing in some new blood, and hopefully Ho Chi Lee will be able to make an impact. Moving on from there, next article I have is by Kale Michael over on .esports.com. January 17th, this was posted, and it reads, Zeke, or Zik, I can never remember, retires from Overwatch to pursue Valorant. Overwatch contender's staple Thomas Zeke Honsono is stepping away from the competitive Overwatch scene after four years and will be moving on to try his hand at Valorant. The French player started playing the game as a hobby after school before joining Gamers Origin in 2016 as a 16-year-old to compete in the Contenders Season 0. Though he didn't always perform at a high level while playing with various stacks in the Tier 2 scene, Zeke did qualify for several tournaments and saw a lot of success throughout the 2020 Contender season while playing with 3rd Impact. Because of his time with 3rd Impact early in the year, he was signed to the main roster of the Toronto Defiant after a short trial period and made his Overwatch League debut. Quote, I had a trial in Paris Academy, but Get Amazed convinced me to commit to join 3rd Impact, Zeke said. The best memory I have from playing Overwatch was with these guys. I'll admit I had doubts at the beginning, but once we picked up the pace, it was only upwards from there. He spent the rest of the 2020 Owl season in Defiance roster as the team qualified for the North American playoffs and finished in a tie for ninth. The team declined to extend his contract at the end of the season, and he began looking for a new squad to compete with. Zick. I know I'm flopping back and forth, whatever. Jumped back into contenders for a brief sting with AOA in the Europe gauntlet uh, before announcing his retirement and subsequent decision to try and pursue Valorant. 
quote, I will now be moving on and I will try to play Valorant as a pro, Zeke said. I appreciate all the support the fans gave me, and I hope you'll still support me even if I move on to Valorant. I made amazing friends, met amazing people throughout this adventure. Thank you again. So, um, you know, obviously a little bit of a Toronto focus here, but um, glad to see him pursuing more because I th I think it, it's always too bad when we see these these players retire simply for the fact that they, they couldn't get picked up, not for not for the fact that they didn't want to play the game anymore, but exciting to see that he's going to pursue Valorant, um, especially because I think there's there's a lot of opportunity um, with Valorant that is yet to be seen. So good for Zeke, um, and certainly seemed like a friendly and a good addition to the Toronto roster, at least for the interim, um, but happy to see him finding or, or pursuing other things. Moving on from there, we have an article from SouthKoreanews.net, posted by Field Level Media. And this one reads, Souls Bedosan, New York's Who Are You, Retire from Owl. Bedosan and Who Are You have retired from the Professional Overwatch League, each player announced via social media on Monday. This was posted on January 19th. Bedosan, a 24-year-old native of South Korea, most recently was a support for Seoul Dynasty. He also played for the London Spitfire when they won the first OWL Championship. In his third and final season in the OWL, he helped the Seoul Dynasty reach the finals and finish second last season. He announced his retirement via an Instagram post. The Seoul Dynasty's active roster now consists of Marvel, Fitz, Profit, Gesture, Creative, Tuyu, Sabiolbi, and Onimo. Who Are You, 19, was a DPS with the New York Excelsior last season. The native of South Korea might be best remembered for winning the Apex Season 2 and Season 3 titles with Lunatic High. He was MVP of the, the finals in Season 2. He announced his retirement via his Twitch feed. The New York Excelsior's roster now consists of Jonak, Yakpung, Bianca, Friday, Feather, Ivy, and Flora. So a couple more retirements, um, and as I mentioned, you know, it's exciting to see someone pursuing something else. Um, it's too bad to see Bedosan and Who Are You simply retiring, although, you know, who's to say they're not pursuing something else, and I just didn't see that reported. So anyways, uh, all the best to Bedosan and Who Are You. Obviously, it was exciting to see um, Souls run this past season, um, and, you know, Who Are You being much younger, um, I'm sure... It was exciting to see him on the New York Excelsior. However, I didn't follow New York this past season or, or very much at all. So I digress. Moving on from there. Next up, we have an article from January 19th, posted by Bill Cooney at Dexerto.com. This one is a bit of an interesting one. I'm not going to talk or discuss too much of it. Um, this article is a little bit lengthy, so I'm also probably not going to read the whole article. So by all means, go find this article and uh, give Bill Cooney the clicks on his article. Um, but I wanted to bring it up because it is uh, it was a big dramatic thing that happened in the league. Um, However, you know, if you want some some analysis of it, go check out Plat Chat's episode where they talk about it because um, I think they handled things very tactfully and uh, very appropriately. So the article reads like this: Former Overwatch player, wow, let's start over. Former Overwatch pro Ryu Jehong, no, Ryu Hejong. Sorry, I always switch the J and the H. Former Overwatch pro. Ryu Hajong suspended from Genji following Twitch drama. Widely regarded as one of the best Ana and Flex support players around, 
Ryuji. Oh, look, they switched it. Oh my gosh, that's why I said that. Oh my gosh, I was right. They misspelled his name in the article name, uh, the, the, the title of the article. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, okay, I'm going to start this over. Uh, sorry about that. and Sorry that I just found that spelling error. But anyways, former Overwatch pro Ryuji Hong, spelled correctly, suspended from Genji following Twitch drama. Widely regarded as one of the best Ana and Flex support players around, Ryuji Hong is a familiar name to any Overwatch esports fan. He was one of the most popular players in OWL before stepping away from the competitive scene after the Vancouver Titans nuked their roster back in May 2020. On January 11, 2021, Genji announced that RJH would be joining their org as a content creator, which makes sense as he was a figurehead for the org's Soul Dynasty squad during the league's first two seasons. Following what was a very short honeymoon period, the Korean-based organization has now suspended Ryu for sexist comments he made on stream that quickly caught the attention of social media, as you can see below. They then have a uh, tweet embedded that I'm not even going to read. On January 16th, Jaehong streamed alongside a female streamer named Heiji a report and reportedly made a number of sexist comments towards her multiple times and even called her out for interrupting him, claiming that women, sh women shouldn't interrupt men. Since the stream happened, the VOD has been deleted, but this is the internet and the comments were quickly translated into English, kicking off the storm of social media backlash. On January 19th, Genji's chief operating officer, Arnold Herr, announced that the org was suspending Ryuji Hong indefinitely due to his stream on-stream comments. Quote, I'm personally very disappointed in the language used during the stream by Ji Hong. He was wrong, and I find it uncharacteristic of the person I knew who has always been a considerate, kind-hearted teammate. Her wrote, our belief is that whether you are a player or streamer, anybody with a platform should understand the responsibility of the higher standards that come with it. As such, we have suspended all of Jaehong's team-related activities indefinitely. Like her mentioned, Jaehong did put out an apology of his own after the firestorm started, where he apologized for what, had, what he had said and promised to watch how he speaks in the future, but added he won't be censoring himself either, according to a translation provided by at Hannah Hyaiko on Twitter. Quote, I am trying to move my stream, my streams toward the streamer Rujiang. I know there are many people who used to watch my old streams who are struggling to adjust to the chat and are confused by the fact I will be using, quote, streamer memes. But I hope you can understand, RJH wrote, according to the translation. From now on, I will listen to feedback from my streams and chat to develop them further. Dot, dot, dot. I saw some messages from people who aren't my fans and I want to tell them to stop fanning the flames. Just in case there weren't enough wrinkles to the story, Heiji, the female streamer who was broadcasting with Ryu Jaehong when the incident took place, has come out and defended him, according to translations by Reddit user GreatReno, saying they were bantering back and forth and what happened wasn't what it seemed. Quote, why RJH gets all the blame when I made sexist jokes with him either? This is a bit undeserved, Heiji said in a YouTube video after... Uh, posted after the outrage began, according to the translation. Quote, I'm cool with it. Why does it matter when the person involved with the matter feels okay? I don't see why people get offended by this. Live in comfort, please. Now, even if it was just some friendly banter back and forth, the kind of language Ryuji Hong apparently used just doesn't just just doesn't fly when you're signed to a major esports org like Genji, and is also a huge disappointment to the greater Overwatch League Overwatch community, who saw him as a role model and just a genuine stand-up dude. It remains to be seen when or if RJH will return from his suspension to being an active member of Gen G. 
Okay, it turns out I did read the whole article. Um, it wasn't as long as I thought, but as I mentioned, I'm, I'm not really going to dive into that. I think, uh, I think you can read into it what you want, and you can form your own opinions on it. Um, however, I'd like to say that uh, we should all be better, and yes, the fact that people in positions of power and people with platforms need to think about these things and think about their audience and think about the repercussions of their actions. Moving on from there. Next up, an article from dailyesports.gg, posted by Michael Czar. Main Tank Jihoon joins the Guangzhou Charge. Former London Spitfire South Korean Main Tank Jihoon has signed to the Guangzhou Charge in the Overwatch League. After retiring from the competitive scene due to health reasons, he played in the Asia, Asian Gauntlet before looking for a new team in 2021. Now with the current meta focused around Wrecking Ball as the main tank, they acquired one of the best Wrecking Ball specialists. After a disappointing season for the London Spitfire in 2020, Jihoon looks to return to form. Jihoon's path to the charge. As a young star, he started playing for Bubble Burster Gaming in Chinese contenders. He impressed on his favorite hero, Wrecking Ball, in a close quarterfinals loss to LGD Gaming. With 2020 on the horizon and the, and the London Spitfire looking to rebuild, they picked up Jihoon. They picked Jihoon up. With his specialist playstyle and potential, he seemed a great pickup. The only issue was his age, as he was too young for the league. He remained inactive until his 18th birthday in May, but afterward didn't see much playtime. With the team compositions that dominated most of the season, he just wasn't fitting in. After the season ended and the team placed 17th overall, he retired from competitive play. But not for long. In December 2020, only three months after the season concluded, he played for a Taiwanese team, A-Bang, as a stand-in. Alongside many other former Overwatch League talents, such as Illicit and Addo, they didn't make the knockout stage. Either way, Jihoon pro proved that he could still perform at a high level and that he was available for 2021. Again, just like Michael Zar's articles usually do, there's a little blurb after that. So if you're interested, go give him the click on his article and scroll to the bottom to read that. Now, obviously, I don't follow the Guangzhou charge too, too much. Um, however, I do like this article because of the context it gives to Jihoon's path to the charge, as uh, the article says there. Um, so good to, good to see him coming back in. And uh, I love the Again, the back and forth of uh, the contender scene to the Overwatch League. So moving on from there, we're going to go back to .esports.com, this time by Max Michelli, um, posted on January 21st. This article reads, Former Defiant Tank Numlocked Retires from Overwatch. Former Toronto Defiant main tank Seb Numlocked Barton retired from Overwatch last night, adding to a growing list of players leaving the esport. After spending four months with the Overwatch League's Toronto Defiant, Barton ended his career playing with Young and Beautiful in the Contender Circuit. His final event was the Gauntlet, a major event that ended the European Contender's 2020 season. In his announcement, Numlocked said his, quote, heart isn't in it anymore. Quote, after taking a break just before Gauntlet, I realized my heart isn't in it anymore. The fire inside me that pushed me to grind and persevere has died, he said. Quote, shout out to everyone that was on a team I played for or against. You guys made it all worth it. Numlock's career as a Reinhardt and Winston main included him playing for a hodgepodge of teams. Starting in 2015, when Overwatch was released, he played for G2 Esports before ending up with Team Dignitas and NRG Esports prior to the inaugural OWL season. He also earned himself a spot on the UK national team in 2016 before being a part of the country's selection committee in 2017. Once the Owls started up, it didn't take him long to find a team. He played the first season of the league with the Los Angeles Valiant, 
he was one of four tanks named to the roster. At the end of the season, Numlocked was one of a handful of players released by the team. He then began playing for contenders teams including the British Hurricane, Team Envy, and Montreal Rebellion before being called up to play for the Defiant this past season. So, um, you know, uh, lots of Toronto Defiant talk, obviously, again, um, a fair number of their players retiring or, or not finding teams um, in the offseason. So always sad to see that happen. Um, Numlocked was a bit of an exciting one to watch this past season for uh, the Toronto Defiant. Um, and obviously, there's that that through line of the Montreal Rebellion feeding into Toronto. So I'm sure that's how he kind of had that relationship. But I digress. Um, you know, sad to see Numlocked go, but all the best in his future. Moving right along, we're going to now jump over to another exciting one. Um, this one came out January 21st, posted by Jessica S. on win.gg, a site that I've never used before, but uh, I found this today. Jake returns to Owl to rejoin former Team Houston Outlaws. Sorry, former Team Houston Outlaws. That made it sound like the team was formerly the Houston Outlaws, and now it's the Houston hornets or something but you know no it was former team of jake's houston outlaws i digress former pro overwatch player jake lyon is returning to the houston outlaws after a year of casting for the overwatch league the outlaws have announced to much fanfare jake has announced his return to his old team after a year spent casting alongside andrew zp rush or zp rush if you're canadian like me jake was a beloved player in the early days of the owl and was well known for both his junkrat plays and lively personality Quote, I had no idea what the future he held, quote. Jake said in a twit longer about announcing his retirement almost a year ago. Quote, this wasn't really a part of any master plan, but when the opportunity pre presented itself, I knew very quickly that it was one that I didn't want to let pass me by. The Outlaws had posted a silhouette photo just an hour or so prior to the release of the revelation that it was Jake in the photo. Twitter exploded with our Overwatch fans excited about the signing. Many are surprised by the move, but fans are happy all the same that the Flex DPS is returning to the active playing ranks. Jake is one of the few players in the Owl who... Oh, sorry, a bit of a spelling error there. Who never switched teams prior to his retirement. He announced in 2019 that he wanted to shift to casting and has since worked on his self-care and life outside of work. Now that he feels he has sufficiently improved himself, Jake seems to think that he's in a good place to return to the league. The Outlaws haven't done well in previous seasons. <laughs> That's funny. In the history of the Owl, they have never been a top-tier team, although they there were some solid additions made to the roster this offseason that could see the Owl, uh, Outlaws sorry, become a force to be reckoned with. Jake has also said that while he will be an active roster player, he will also be coaching and helping the team in other ways. The Outlaws had already made some big offseason moves prior to Jake's return. Dante is returning and KSF is joining from the Los Angeles Valiant, while Happy comes over from the Guangzhou Charge. And that's the end of that article. Um, so, yeah, this is an exciting one. Um, I think anyone who watched this uh, this past season um, hopefully really appreciated Jake's uh, casting style. I know, certainly for me, he was one of the one of the better casters given his play experience. He really knows how to read a play and how to break it down. Um, and I think that's in a lot of ways why he will be really helpful and make a big impact on, especially on a team like Houston, but on any team in general. Um, he's got the game knowledge. He's got the game sense. He's got the experience. And, uh, 
and he's also got that that kind of observing mindset to understand uh, plays and what's going on, as well as, as we all saw, um, I can't remember what game it was, but there was one game where uh, his co-caster's mic wasn't working and he popped off like a madman um, and was able to to break down the play very, very impressively and definitely was a highlight of this past season. So anyways, um, exciting to see that and exciting to see him, you know, playing leapfrog with things you know going from being a player to being a caster jumping back into an as it says an active uh player slot on the roster but also knowing that he's he might not necessarily see much playtime, but he will also be used in a coaching capacity it would be really interesting to see how that contract actually breaks down um because i would assume he's I would assume he leans more towards the coaching staff than he does the active player role, um, especially given uh, given his Junkrat specialty, which we don't see too, too often, although certainly we did see some Junkrat play uh, this past season. So maybe we will see Jake uh, jumping back on the old, the old Junkrat there. So anyways, that is it for... Uh, the news segment of our show. Um, let's move on. And now we're going to talk a little bit of speculation and rumors, rumors, rumors. Excuse me for dropping in. All right. So as I mentioned, I saved this until the end of the show, because I think this is some, some exciting stuff that I want to talk about. Um, I talked a little bit or I hinted a little bit at some of the stuff when I was talking about our first uh, article there, diving into the new league format and everything, um, as well as some of the team talk there. But there are a few things that I wanted to bring up. The first one is the Los Angeles Valiant moving to the Eastern region. Now, there's been a ton of speculation and rumor about this, mostly primarily, another word for primarily, insert that here, uh, brought on by uh, Halo on Twitter. If you don't know Halo, I believe he is at Halo of Thoughts. Um, he is a pretty well-known um, Overwatch League leaker for the most part. Um, there's a little bit of debate, especially brought on by this um, by this particular item I'm going to talk about here, um, as to his his credibility and and some of the way he operates and everything um i'm not going to touch on any of that i follow the guy um so that i'm in the know on the goings-ons um but certainly i can understand the the drama and the arguments around both both his side as well as uh, the perspective of others now what has kind of come to light although i think still has yet to be confirmed um, but what has kind of come to light because of halo is that the los angeles valiant may be getting sold to a chinese buyer who may be looking to nuke the team and uh, rebuild it as a primarily chinese team now obviously that definitely lends credence to the fact that the los angeles valiant are moving to the eastern region um Certainly, it would be very tragic for the players and, and much of the staff on the current team because I would assume none of them are going to stick around. And certainly, it means that teams and or yeah, the players and the staff will be scrambling because uh, you know we are past we are past the the I mean signing deadline and and majority of 
the moves that most teams will be making. At this point, I think every team has a full roster, so it will be very interesting to see what happens to some of those players, and especially some of those, you know, there's some good talent on the Los Angeles Valiant. Um, For all intents and purposes, this past season, although it wasn't great for the Los Angeles Valiant, I think they are largely applauded for what they were able to do on a rumored uh, bare-bones budget. And, I mean, you know, if you take into account the fact that it's heavily heavily rumored that they had a bare-bones budget this past season. Um, if you take that into account, it isn't too surprising that they might have been looking for a buyer. I can't remember who the organization is that owns the Los Angeles Valiant right now, um, but the rumor is that that organization is looking to sell them to that Chinese buyer. Um, so, anyways, I wanted to touch on that because it certainly it adds a little bit of context to the Los Angeles Valiant moving to the Eastern region. Um, but at the same time, it hasn't been confirmed. It is uh, largely a air quotes leak, um, but right now I file it under rumor uh, brought on by Halo. So, anyways, it's an interesting one that I, I definitely wanted to bring up. So, I don't want to focus on that one, though, because uh, it has certainly a little bit more drama about it. Um, and also, it's obviously focused around certain people that, um, you know, I don't want to disparage any of them. So moving on, the other big thing I want to talk about is the rumors about Overwatch 2 and the release date. So I'm bringing this up now because it ties in directly to that Overwatch League season announcement. Um, so originally when we got the season announcement and obviously a lot of the speculation online um, was that if the game or if uh, the upcoming season was pushed back till April, would that coincide with the release of the game with uh, the release of Overwatch 2 sorry or would it be around there? And given that uh, Overwatch 1 released in May of 2016, I believe, um, it, it did seem like the timeline would kind of match up. Now, there are a few other things that we have to consider, one obviously being the COVID-19 pandemic, as I'm sure we're all tired of hearing about. I think there's a large, there's a large part of me that knows many, many games and a lot of game development was thrown way out of whack because of the pandemic, because of people being forced to work from home and companies not necessarily being equipped to accommodate that. Given that's the case, I still personally believe that Overwatch 2 should be releasing in the April-May of 2021 uh, sort of time frame. Now, what I think we've seen is because of the COVID-19 pandemic, or largely because of it, I think production is largely off track, and we're now looking at a much later release. The reason I bring this up here is because the rumor was, of course, that um, the later start date of the season was to coincide with the launch of Overwatch 2, but now there is speculation and rumors circulating that the real reason uh, the season was actually delayed was not, in fact, to line up with Overwatch 2 at all, but rather to allow teams time to work on obtaining visas, as well as to give the league more time to figure out the format of the next season. Um, In my mind, that adds up it really seems valid based on the fact that we know blizzard will do um or or and then sorry not based on the fact but on top of all that there is also things like the um overwatch 2 beta that we have to consider we know blizzard does in my mind fairly extensive and widespread beta testing for most of their games if not all um 
I myself was in the uh, World of Warcraft um, Burning Crusade, as well as uh, Wrath of the Lich King uh, betas. And typically speaking, those are out fairly, a, a pretty, I don't know what the term is, uh, quite a while before the release of the game. Um, and obviously leading into the game. We also know that for Overwatch 1, if I'm not mistaken, Blizzard did a console beta as well. Now, when it comes to that one, that one is obviously more of a stress test and in a lot of ways, more of just a preview of the game to try and drum up support. But even still, if you look at the timelines of those, in my mind, Blizzard is not going to do... And also, if you look at games media and the uh, press news marketing cycle of things, generally speaking, games don't announce and then release... Well, I, okay, Overwatch 2 has already been announced, but games don't typically announce and then release within... Uh, a short period of time. Usually there's minimum six months of a press cycle building up to the release of a game. Whether or not the game is announced uh, six months out, it may be announced farther out like Overwatch 2 was. But generally speaking, there's a good six-month buildup where you start seeing commercials, you start seeing articles, you start seeing previews. Um, and that's kind of when you also start seeing those things like the betas. So given all of that, if in my mind I say, okay, there's going to be a there's going to be a beta that will be somewhere around six months out from the game's release to give them time to run the beta, take the feedback, find the bugs, and fix those things. So we we go from let's let's just for argument's sake sake say a minimum six month um, cycle for all of that, and then or sorry minimum six months out from release you see all of that, and then you also see. Um, the I might have already said this, the press, the news, the marketing, all that stuff. If we got the release date announced in February at BlizzCon Line, which was also speculated, the, the simple math is the game's not coming out in April, May, right? You go February, uh, March, April, May, June, July, August. You're looking at earliest an August release. Games also don't typically release in August. If you look at the July-August period, even June-July-August, you generally speaking don't see big AAA games releasing then. Now, some companies like PlayStation have recently sort of broken that, especially last year was crazy. Um, you know, I know specific examples like Ghost of, Ghost of Tsushima and uh, The Last of Us 2, even The Last of Us 1 um, released in June-July-August, that kind of thing. Um, but typically speaking, you don't see companies releasing their big AAA tentpole games in the summer months you generally see it there there's usually a little bit in that fall wave so the um the september october period and then you really see things ramp up in the november period obviously with black friday in the united states and everything like that so based on all this evidence i certainly think that the rumors that overwatch 2 um or, or that the next season of the Overwatch League was delayed simply for the fact of teams need time to work on visas, teams need time to get things in order for players, um, as well as the league needed time to figure out the format and to firm things up. Um, you know, I can only imagine how many moving pieces there are when it comes to operating an international league in that sense. I think it all makes sense. Um, and, and like I said, I do still think if we rewound to the Overwatch 2 announcement, I do still think that the plan was to release the game in uh, around that same period in probably 2021. Um, 
that same period being the April-May kind of window. You do, generally speaking, see games coming out in the springtime leading up to summer. Um, you know, that that sort of... Uh, you don't often see a ton in, in January. Things kind of start to ramp up in February. And then once you get to March, uh, April-May, you do generally start seeing a lot of uh, a lot of the AAA big bangers coming out then. Um, so again, you know, I think all the evidence kind of shows that yeah, their plans were probably Overwatch 2 in that April-May window of 2021, which happens to coincide with the next uh, Overwatch League season uh, start date. But I think it more just worked out to be a coincidence that they they maybe said, you know what, given that we can't release the game in the April-May window, what if we run the next season of the Overwatch League um, starting in that time to kind of keep some of that interest in overwatch boiling um you know keep the loyal fans keep the dedicated fans maybe grab some new fans but keep things bubbling on the pot through uh the late spring summer months into the fall then potentially i think in the fall we start to see that drum up that press cycle for overwatch 2 um and i think that's kind of when you start to see things really kick off it wouldn't surprise me at all if they try to hold some announcement or hold some big reveal or something like that around the time of grand finals, it, it, honestly, they could increase viewership a lot if they uh, if they said, "Hey, at the start of grand finals or something, we're going to be unveiling a new trailer," or at the end of grand finals, there's going to be something something about Overwatch Two. If they did that, you know, we figure that's end of September. You then go October, November, December, January, February, March. That's six months. That's that kind of time frame again, where we're now in the AAA release schedule, uh, sort of big banger window of March, April, May, which you know gives them six to eight months even to do that marketing push and everything. So, anyways, that is my thoughts on the on uh, the release date and some of the speculation that that we've been seeing about how soon we might be getting Overwatch two. So with that, I think that brings this episode to a close, and I think I will end it swiftly here as it's getting late and I still got to export the episode and post it. So of course, this was episode 31 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks here. Let me take a quick look at the calendar. So next week will be February 3rd and then February 10th. So we will be posting around February 10th. We'll call it the Valentine's episode or something like that for episode 32. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you can't find it on a podcast service, please reach out to me on Twitter or any social media, I am at Sir DRJM. That's at Sir Dr. JM. You can follow me. You can message me. I would love to interact with you. If you have questions, suggestions, or anything you want me to talk about on the show, bring it up there and uh, I may or may not bring it to the next episode. So um, give us a follow, share us with your friends and all that jazz. And once again, thank you very much for listening to One Man Watchpoint. Thank you.